right in front of him. Crowder looking, throws it alley. Oh! Welcome into another edition of the Just Basketball Show. I'm Brendan Clean. That over there is Chris Manning. We are back. It is Wednesday, August 9th. If you're finding us for the first time, we are all over the podcast world. Wherever app you use, YouTube, hit that subscribe button. Get us in your feed twice a week talking hoops. Give us five stars on YouTube. Subscribe there, of course. Give us a comment, all that good stuff. If you have not before, want to let everybody know today's show is sponsored in part by Homage, an ultra-comfortable specialty apparel company making shirts of the losing team of the game that we're going to break down here momentarily, the Las Vegas Aces, in addition to tons of other awesome licenses across the NBA, WNBA vintage stuff, hundreds of other unique lifestyle and pop culture designs. Click the link in our show description below. Buy something, a gift, something for yourself. You're just a diehard Hoops fan like us. You want something good. They have it for you. A little bit of that money goes back to us. We're going to have a little bit of a grab bag show today. Recommend checking out our show from Monday if you're finding us uh, here on Wednesday. We talked deep on Destination NBA, the new prime video documentary about the G League. Interviewed the directors of that movie. A lot of good stuff there. So we have a lot of news to catch up on. Chris has been out of town, and that's where we're going to start. Chris, you were in... Really, the basketball eco, uh, the the center of the bas- basketball ecosystem on Sunday at three Eastern, we had Aces versus Liberty Part Two. Really felt like Part One. I, I decided to flush the first one down the toilet, and it is the first of three matchups that these teams will have this month. It was a lopsided game, but uh, we can break down the basketball side. But take us inside that arena felt like it was rocking yeah. the crowd cared there was lines out the door what was it all like let's start with the lines because i if people haven't been to barclays before for a nets game a concert whatever if you haven't been any work in that area that's a sub that's i'm gonna i'm gonna i want to clarify i like just go to new york like i've been a bunch i have family from their friends there so I'm not going to tell you I know exactly like how often this is really like that. So like this is coming from someone who like can at least whatever you get off the train, you go up the stairs and Barclays stares you in the face. It's a cool little area. There's actually a, a very, there's a very nice uh, Gigi and Kobe Bryant mural, like right off to the side that you can see next to a shoe store. It's like, it's a nice little area. The line an hour before the game, the ostensible tip-off time of 3 p.m., it was jammed. Outside, it is busy. It is jammed. Tons of Sabrina Ionescu jerseys, tons of Sabrina Ionescu t-shirts, including myself. I was, I was wearing a Sabrina Ionescu t-shirt. Tons of seafoam. And then little sprinklings of Aces gear. <laughs> uh, little sprinkling of people in Asia Wilson jerseys. Or I saw a Chelsea Gray jersey. I saw, um, I think, what was a bootleg plum dog t-shirt. Um, also some Brianna Stewart Yukon gear as well. Yeah. Uh, a lot of Yukon Husky jerseys, including the and 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 also the home field apparel uh tee that I We don't know what that, that is here. 
Yeah, I don't know what that is. Different. Never heard of them. But like a lot of Yukon stuff. A ton of Yukon stuff in, in all Stewie and a couple DT things. Get in the arena and it's jammed. Um, tons of people. This was a record crowd for the Liberty Barclays, about 12, uh, nearly 12,000 people. There's only like one section of the arena closed off. Um, you go to the team shop. I, I do want to say I want to ding Barclays. I want to ding the Liberty wow. for, for one Just thing. Just a shot at here. Joe Sy. The team shop is horrible. Mm. It is badly organized. It is badly run. And the lack of like cohesion in the design and lack of like overwhelming amounts of New York Liberty gear is frankly appalling. They had one hat, like one dad. You tell me you can't get like a, I couldn't buy a seafoam dad hat. That feels that that's wrong. Like that's just wrong. Like just it wasn't good. Right. They can do the, a lot better. There's not enough men's sports gear out there, Chris. That is okay, a, but I, but like even for women, no, Brendan, there's one you. hat. I hear you. One hat. And then a bunch of Nets hats. Okay. Mm-hmm. Like a bunch like I understand you're maybe gonna still sell Nets stuff, but like give me some diversification of the yeah. gear. Um there was a there's some people from France who I talked to who are there to buy Mourinho. How do you say her last name, Brendan? I think I'm it's, I, they'd always just say Johannes, but I doubt that's like the French okay. pronunciation. So Marine Johannes, there's people that are from France. I sent Brennan a picture of this. There was a woman that I talked to that had a uh, Johannes French national team jersey. They were getting mm-hmm. custom printed Liberty Johannes jerseys, which is very cool. And here's the kick. Here's where I would say is the kicker. Uh, we were with friend of the program, Chris Longo, works at Den of Geek. Multiple times throughout this game and then at dinner afterwards, he said that that Liberty game, that environment was better than Brooklyn Nets playoff games. That was the energy in this arena. This felt like a big matchup. You had stars in the crowd as well. Uh, record crowd, a lot of energy. We can talk about game presentation stuff. And this blah, 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 blah. And this was there. an. That's true. Weirdly, he they didn't show him till the fourth quarter, which like like the the. I, that doesn't matter. Well, that's that's a off pod conversation for you and I about like like maybe you're just building this Sedacus with Liberty t-shirts and his daughters there whatever just a very cool environment it felt like a big game it felt like a big moment and the crowd even though like was a bl- ultimately a blowout win Brendan this was a a environment that was so bought in th- yeah. this this felt like this felt like a really big deal and it was a really big deal blowout but super competitive and one of those games where yeah, exactly. Like, you know, there's everybody who is a sports fan, period, but even a, especially a basketball fan with how much lopsidedness we can sometimes see in scores. Like, this was this had a playoff intensity. This was an incredibly well-played game. It just so happens that one team went on a big run and it happened toward the end of the game. So, you know, the other team kind of put up the white flag. But this got me well, much more excited for the the competition, the, the battles between these teams to come than it did like, oh, wow, this is this was boring in some sort of way. The score did not well, tell Brennan, the story. Yeah. Well, do, do you know that? Do you know how I think we kind of confirmed that this was a big deal? I don't know if you saw saw some of these tweets from Asia Wilson. Oh, yeah. The MVP talk getting thrown in there and people in her head about her shooting and she's not going to mess up again. And obviously she got hurt and almost concussed in this game. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, which, that's, by the way, that wasn't a flagrant to me, that junk. That that was not a really – I understand it's like a little aggressive, but that was like a basket that, – that was a basketball move to me. That was interesting. Rebecca Lobo was kind of saying on the broadcast, like, it's up to you, you being John Cole Jones in that instance. And Rebecca Lobo also being a post player knows this, like, 
you got to watch your shoulders. You got to watch your elbows. Sure. You got to watch your forearms, your everything, because you're a large person with a lot of force behind you. But yeah, Asia Asia did not have her best game, and we'll, we'll get into that. Was this your first WNBA game? I may. So I, being from Cleveland, I may have went to a Rockers game when I was a kid. But if I do, I frankly, it, I don't remember it. But yes, mm. this would have this other. But this is what I will count as my, my first WNBA game. Yeah. 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 It, I mean. The Liberty being one of the original franchises, it is cool that they are now being treated, at least in terms of having an actual home arena, with uh, the level of respect that allows their fans to actually go see the team. You know, they were playing and, in Westchester and, for a few years because James yeah. Dolan is an asshole. Well, and they also played like games at, at Radio City Music Hall, which, like, if you've been to Radio City Music Hall either for a show or to go on the tour, that doesn't make any sense as a place for people to play basketball games. It's literally an absurd yeah. thing to consider that 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 for a for not a ton, but the New York Liberty played basketball games during it. it doesn't make any sense at all if you really yeah. think about it. All right, let's get to the let's get to the game. So, I thought that off the top, the big picture takeaway to me was the Liberty did a really really good job at executing their defensive game plan in this game, trying to take away the paint, trying to make all of the players on Vegas beat them one-on-one, -on -one, but, you know, especially with the way that Asia ended up going cold, that was particularly noteworthy, is she usually can save them, but for whatever reason, they were out of rhythm. The other players weren't quite, you know, engaged and involved the way that they normally are. They didn't share the ball like they often do. They got uncomfortable and then Asia wasn't able to bail them out like she sometimes does you couple that with Ionescu just going crazy and that's why the blowout was there but I mean the first half of this game was everything you could have asked for I think in terms of wanting to see high level of basketball between what are clearly the two best teams in the W I at Brennan live this game felt this game felt like the Liberty Act showed up and answered the bell this is what this game felt like to me in, in terms of a physicality perspective. The first game, I, I thought a large part of that game was that the Aces were the more physical team. That that first matchup was really the Aces being the adult basketball team and really dominating in a, in a physical sense. I thought in this game, whether it was Sabrina Ionescu on defense, I think in particular, her offense is going to get the credit there and a lot of the attention, yeah. but her defense, I think, really held up well. Brianna Stewart, you know, defending Asia Wilson for chunks of this game and, and being an interior defensive presence. John Cole Jones, like everyone on this team, I thought really just held up defensively and bought into what they needed to do. And that was not the case in game one. And if they play that physical and have the offensive upside they do, like that's the recipe. Like this game, it, like they they could play a very similar game and not be the aces as by as much as they did. But this is the template of a performance for them that will could allow them to win the title. Like that that doesn't feel out of the question to me that that they could put together a couple of these games in a series like this and ultimately go home champions. This this is how they would do it. Yeah, a lot of it came together, I think, and <clears throat> the fact that they were able to do this with Stewie only shooting eight of twenty. And especially in the first half, just like wasn't really a, a major force. I, I think she made a couple of big threes in the first half. But other than that, she did have an, a couple of nice blocks too. And, and obviously finishes with three steals and three blocks total. But 
this wasn't a game, if you were to just say the, the the biggest cheat code that New York has in this matchup is that Stewie can score over anybody that Vegas throws at her. That really wasn't it. So it almost makes you more, I think, impressed and excited about what they can do going forward. But it was, uh, to, to circle back, a lot of, of what they've been doing during their improved sort of late July and early August stretch, the Liberty showed up and if your first, if your takeaway from that first game was the physicality i hear that completely um the liberty scored 98 points in that game and and shot 58% from the field to me my big takeaway was just that i i came away from the first matchup like can the liberty guard the aces at all like is it is it just a rat and i do think that you noticed the dis- the, the 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 fact that Candace Parker was not on the court was very noticeable in this game. The fact that John Quill Jones was able to be in the paint instead of having to, to space uh, guard a spaced out uh, Candace Parker and what she can do as a playmaker. She had five assists in the first game and, and Kia Stokes is just not the type of player who's going to do that. So the fact that they didn't have to have Stewie go off and the fact that their defense looked capable, like those are huge indicators going forward because... I think those were both probably the two biggest questions. And I don't think one game answers them, but they got a lot closer to answering those questions. And look, we don't know if Candace Parker is going to be around by it. Like, yeah. we don't really know if she's going to play or not if these two teams do meet in the finals. So that that's worth learning. But I feel like we've wasted a little bit. We ha- we've not gotten to Sabrina Ionescu as quickly as we maybe should have in, in talking about this game. Because I think she, in a lot of ways, will be the story of this game. You know, you could look at Asia Wilson, you know, having the performance she did. You could look at... You know, Kelsey Plum had a very quiet day by her standards. You know, you could look at how the, the physicality thing we touched on. But you ask you, this is, I texted you this. This is, look, I'm not going to sit here and say we have seen every game she has played at the WNBA, in the WNBA or, or college or wherever. I would love to, you know, I didn't see if she got asked this, but I kind of like to know if she thought maybe this was the best game she's played as a pro in, in hindsight. To me, this is considering the stage, considering the moment, considering how she was really the hunted one in the the last time these two teams played. This is the best game I think I've seen her play as a professional. She had 31 and 31 uh, and 31 minutes and 55 seconds, just under 32. If this is a closer game, she probably breaks her career high, which I believe is 37. 12 and 19 from the field, 6 of 10 from 3. Mm-hmm. Also had seven assists against just one turnover, had five boards, and again, really held up defensively. This was a complete two-way performance from from Sabrina. Yeah. Like, th- this is, this is like, is a legitimate all-star performance from her. And she was just absolutely unconscious this entire game. And if I'm the Aces, that would terrify me. Just because, like, in the same way we know that, like, Asia Wilson's not going to probably play the way she did again in, in, another, in the Commissioner's Cup in a little bit. I don't, you know, if you look at this and say, okay, maybe maybe Sabrina is not going to go six of ten from three again, but if she goes four of ten, four of eleven, and Stewie is kind of a, has a normal Stewie game, yeah, like good good luck dealing with those two. No, you're you're totally right to point out that it was a two way game. I think it just sort of goes back to how strange the offensive approach was from Vegas. I, you know, they were doing strange things, getting the wrong types of switches. It just felt like the initial punch that New York threw got them out of sorts in a way. And and again, maybe Asia being cold, but that's the way that they can exploit UNESCO is one-on-one. But I think she's been doing for a bit 
uh, everything she possibly can. And in this game, at a, at a higher level of competition, did it again defensively to just be in the right places, rotate correctly, execute the game plan. She was helping. There was a play where she helped off Kirsten Bell in the corner, who is a developing offensive player for New York or for Vegas that doesn't typically play. And she took away and got a steal on a, a pass to the roller where she was just right in the paint where she needed to be. Uh, a very, very good uh, defensive game. So I did want to shout that out. But the offensive ability, the the deep shooting ability, the ability to space the floor, she never stops moving when she doesn't have the ball. She's cutting, she's running off screen, she's everywhere she needs to be. Uh, it just created, honestly, like terror for the Aces, it felt like. And there was one play in the third quarter, the run that they went on when UNESCO had been hot for the whole second quarter and then finally... Um, you know, wasn't cooling off by any means, but the ball was starting to find other people. She caught the ball in transition in, in kind of the right wing, but like extended, like 10 feet behind the arc. She wasn't even going to shoot. But the fact mm-hmm. that she was so hot, the fact that she has that deep range terrified the Aces so much that they sent two bodies toward her 10 feet behind the three-point line in full transition. She's at a full sprint. It's not like she's slowing down even with the ability to pull up. And she just hits Benajelani for a completely wide-open right corner three. The next possession, she gets a paint touch, kicks it to, I believe, Laney again in the right corner, another three. And so that unselfishness and ability to use her gravity to her benefit, it was it was a, an all-around dominant game and she was the best player on the court i think you're absolutely right i mean this was a game of i mean how many all-stars and she was clearly the best player that there was um on the aces side i want to explore whether you think there was anything happening with asia's performance or is it just sometimes even awesome players just miss shots that it's that it's awesome players miss good shots it was a differently physical game um, and just, again, to go back to her posting on, well, I guess we have to call it X now, right? Sure. Okay. I guess. When, when she goes to that platform that will not be named and has, and it clearly was just like F this, like clearly like was bothered by this. I just don't think she's going to play like that the rest of the season. And like when she's mm-hmm. like, my... I'm gonna. I want to read the exact quote because I don't want to get this wrong. But the quote about well, a she posted a Britney Spears gif, um, and said, "Now I'm done." And like clearly having fun with it too, but said, "I don't need a statue to validate who I am in the league." Uh, I kind of think she's gonna drop like 40 in a game in the next like week. Yeah, I, I I think you're right. I also feel like there were some moments where the. I, if you're going to buy into any worry about her, let me start it that way. I would say that the burden that's placed on her, especially when they go small as a defender, is mm-hmm. extreme. However, she's used to that. She's experienced that before. In 2020, she was pretty much a center and won MVP. Um, and at times last year, they didn't have Candace Parker, so she she played that role a lot, even though they had De'Erica Hamby and their small lineups were at least a little bigger overall rather than like Alicia Clark playing the four, which is kind of what's happening right now. She still handled that that duty. So it's not something we haven't seen her take on, on as far as a two-way level of, of extreme responsibility, but it might be some adjustment. There are going to be games where the, the front-rimmed uh, jumper from the right block toward the end of the third quarter, 
I was like, she's exhausted. Like there were some of those moments where you're just like, the legs aren't there. She's huffing and puffing. It's it's ugly. But you're right. Early in the game, she missed a couple bunnies, missed a couple driving jumpers, things that it's just her signature stuff that just did not go in. So I tend to not be worried about it either. I think that they're if they're just a little more, if their approach going into the next game is just a little bit more, let it fly from deep. I think things look a lot different too. I think that the, again, the mentality and the approach just got jammed up and, you know, it's not going to be a wide open three, but if you know that they're packing the paint heading into opening tip and you're, you know, Jackie Young and you're like, forget, you know, two dribbles into a pull up or a layup. I'm, I'm taking 10 threes tonight and she's going to make them right. They're going to make their shots. They're a great shooting team. So I do think some of it is like, if this was a playoff series, you're like, if you're the Liberty, we stole one. Mm-hmm wipe our forehead of sweat and, and move on to the next game and don't take anything for granted. And it's not a playoff series, but it might as well be over the next few weeks. And I feel like they'll just throw their counterpunch in the next one. But again, I'm beyond excited for the next two because this was an awesome game. If you love basketball, you need to watch the other matchup between these two teams and then watch the Dubnabia finals if they get there. Like, you Which they to. will. If you don't... But, I, I just, look. I don't look. Think weird things can happen. You know. Yeah. I I do wonder if even if they've had been really successful without her, this felt like maybe the first time that they're processing in in a negative way, not having Candace Parker. I think that John Cole Jones would have heard playing inside was a really good shout on your part. I I but I think they. I mean, the, like I looked at the betting markets and they went from like a plus three hundred favorite to like plus. The, sorry, the Liberty went from like plus three hundred to like plus two seventy five as far as title odds. So they didn't shift like a significant amount, but like they shifted a little bit, but the aces are still the favorites, but it's, it feels more plausible perhaps, uh, than it, than it did a week ago that maybe the Liberty pulled this off. Yep. All right. Uh, we'll circle back to the WNBA momentarily, but let's go on to the Los Angeles Lakers and Anthony Davis, who, signed a three-year, $186 million extension the day he was eligible for it. There is a player option on the final year, and uh, predictably, but just to tie it up, fully guaranteed contract. So I just don't... I don't I don't have the energy or concern here to get too worked up about this one, Chris. This is a franchise that publicly and and loudly prides itself on compensating the stars who get them the the glory that they've rightly gotten in the NBA. They make a whole scene about it. And whether you believe in him or not, whether you're concerned about the injuries, which you should be or not, I I just this is what happens to top 10 type players even when they're approaching their mid 30s. Let me play devil's advocate for this and uh people that maybe don't know this or listening for the first time our producer dylan heiser is a lakers fan so this is i hopefully this this makes dylan's skin crawl a little bit if nothing else it's a test to see how much he actually how closely he listens while he's editing yeah uh dylan by the way dylan also a real madrid fan so just a real front runner honestly absolutely real tough just real tough is this not immediately though just one of the riskier nba deals we have Considering considering his injury history, his propensity to be down on the ground and and not look right, yeah. And considering that, like this is also theoretically maybe maximizing what LeBron's next couple years are going to look like. Is this not immediately one of the most high stakes 
extensions we have over the next couple of years. I, I, I think obviously this is what happens, but is there not just like a ton of stakes in this for this working out? Could, could, it's not like implausible that this doesn't exactly work out for, for AD and the Lakers. Like that wouldn't be like an unrealistic outcome to me if we're kind of looking at this and saying this isn't like a slam dunk extension. Sure. This is like there there is some risk here. Even in which is baked in everything, but I, I yeah, I do know there risk is here. risk. There absolutely is risk. It, this is three years atop the two he already has, so it goes through twenty twenty eight. At which point he will be thirty five years old. You're telling me, look, you, there's no way Anthony Davis at this at this rate is going to be moving super well at thirty five. I just don't know how what he's going to look like at thirty five. Yeah, I, I, I. So let me pin you down on what the particular issue that you're worried about is because where my mind goes immediately when I hear you ask that question is to timing as much as that last year the maybe the last two years you're really playing with fire in terms of is the guy going to be anywhere near the level of value that the the salary would indicate and I, I I can't say yes to that but there's a world in which that 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 last year the last two years are on a re resetting, rebuilding Lakers team that LeBron James doesn't exist in. I mean, in twenty twenty eight, LeBron James, I, I would hope, is on a in a retirement mansion somewhere in like the outskirts of Cleveland or L A. and just not paying attention to any of this, or he's at uh, Vegas NBA games as an owner, and so that risk is lessened. It's the same thing that people, why it was okay that they signed Kobe to the giant contract once upon a time. Cause it's like, well, is Jordan Clarkson getting paid anytime soon in his rookie season or whatever that, that whole team was? No, it was like, what else are we going to do with the money? I kind of think that's what they're doing here is that's going to be a transition era no matter what happens. So we might as well keep AD happy, reward him for what he's given us and figure it out later. I think that's right. I guess I think what is the turn? What is the? I I don't really know what the turn. I I look. This is maybe not well, totally. Austin fair. Reeves will be on no. as like what second MVP trophy by then. So that's the. I mean, maybe that's the guy we got to be talking about. Yeah, I mean, it's really the Reeves and AD show more than anything else. But look, let's talk about it this way. At least I want to ask it this way. We are in whatever year of AD, right? Every many years, it's 2011 draft, right? 2012, mm-hmm. 2012 draft? I think this is his, yeah, more than 10 seasons. So okay. let's agree. So on I that. think it's Kyrie's 2011. I think AD's 2012. Okay. I'm pretty sure. Mm-hmm. 11 seasons he's, a, he's achieved. Okay. He's going into his 12th. For a guy that is going to be the face of the Lakers post-LeBron, at the center point of that transition in some way, do we do we really have a good grasp of what that looks like? I don't know if I know, like some of that will be what other money comes available. The cap's going to rise. Maybe they go get another star, and it just like doesn't matter. But yeah. I have questions, I guess, about like what that transition looks like and how successful that can really be. If we just based on what we understand, AD is now. I think you're going to need to find like. There was so much talk, and maybe this was just talk and, and posturing and, and trying to make AD happy, or whatever. But think about how much talk there was about LeBron's. Like, this is going to become AD's team, uh, LeBron to age gracefully. If you're going to ask me right now to power rank who the most important player in the Lakers is to win a title next year, like, it's not AD, it's LeBron. So, like, what does that look like when LeBron is retired, producing films? Maybe he owns the, the Vegas franchise, right? 
what does AD look like in that role? That's just, it's just yeah. like a massive unknown to me if we're processing, processing this out. Yeah, I don't think he's the best player on whatever that team is. But that would just the, scare. That would just. That just. That just. That just would scare me. No, hundred percent. And and I, I like. I don't even think we're on opposite sides of this. I think you're just parsing out what happens when you actually logistically get to the end of this thing. Even though we both agree this was likely the outcome of the extension talks, kind of in any world, right? So. I don't even think we disagree, and I hear you completely. I think, you know, the Lakers operate as if they always will be able to find the co-pilot, find the backup plan, find the other thing. And so there might it might be that there's a couple down years while AD's on a bloated salary and, and has a hard time staying on the court, and I don't think his game, as it currently looks, will age very well. I, I hear you on that. I think the fact that his jump shooting is still not where you want it to be makes it really hard to bet on whatever the mid-30s version of a player like that is going to be. The, uh, an athlete-first defense guy, somebody who, you know, his physicality is so fundamental to his game, all that stuff, that has to be uh, considered. But um, where I kind of wanted to... Well, can I just say one this one thing on a dollar figure amount? Just Yeah. Just in, uh, richest annual extension in, in NBA history at $62 million a year annually. Yeah. Just it's just it's just like until again, we know the Kawhi Cavs, Leonard gets one in a month or whatever. If you know? Kawhi Leonard Brennan gets that beats AD's extension, I really don't know what like. Well, that, I just I, it might not be him, but you know it's the same thing with Jalen Brown. It's like it will be that until the next one. Yeah. Um. And look, these numbers just are making my brain hurt at this point. Is it's kind of my point. It's just well, like these me, numbers are so big. It's just it's just crazy. Just let crazy. me pivot back to the the coach, or sorry, the timeline situation, and take us to the coaching side of this because I, I do think there is something here that's interesting which is the fact that the Lakers see Anthony Davis as worthy of the type of loyalty and sort of respect by way of paying you that they did not see Ty Lue as because once upon a time the Lakers refused to give Ty Lue a contract that wasn't directly tied to LeBron's right, in terms of years. Mm -hmm. And even after they won the championship in 2020 and both AD and LeBron get extensions, they're both for the same amount of time, basically. And so that honestly might be the most interesting part of this to me is the fact that AD has sort of graduated into the stratosphere of how the Lakers view him, that he doesn't kind of have to be connected to LeBron, that they're not trying to give themselves an out from the LeBron, Anthony Davis business as soon as LeBron has an exit path, which could come as soon as next summer. They're now saying, no, we're fine with Anthony Davis for four years beyond whatever we know about LeBron. That's a surprise. I think you're right. And I, and I think this I think this is a reminder that the Lakers oftentimes are at the, the forefront of being a player-driven organization in a lot of ways, right? Like... Other teams do this. I think particularly teams with the best players in the league do this, right? Like, you have a situation where, like, look, the Suns, I think they were willing to change coaches, right? Like, you have teams with really great players willing to, to change coaches now. Like, I mean, there's a, there's another universe where, like, you know, Bud sticks around in Milwaukee and, like, they don't retool up there, right, in a different way. Or, like, Mike Malone, 
you know, is kind of not like an anomaly in that yeah. sense, right? Like where where like they they don't stick with someone. The Lakers just have always kind of felt on like the 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 extreme version of like the player first kind of thing in a lot of ways, and with like the star guys, like go. I mean, it's kind of you know we're talk, we're not going to talk about winning time on this episode. We're going to talk about that come next week, but. Like it goes back to like the DNA of the Jerry Buss ownership thing, which is like it's about the stars. It's about the coach is like sort of like a secondary piece in your whole thing. Even if I don't like, if I was if I was running an organization, I would not view that to be true. I don't really think that's you like would view a coach over business. a player. No, 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 no. I I don't. I'm not even saying they're equal, but I'm saying the I think like Ty Lue's value on like establishing a culture and making your team successful. It's like it has value that like it should maybe you shouldn't just have to tie it. To yeah. like a star player, I guess. To me, it's kind of like, kinda like that's both. My point. Like both Tyloo yeah, and both. Anthony Davis yes, should be extended yes. for longer than LeBron, yeah. and they should be okay with yeah. that. Yeah, but they're but like Frank Vogel, it's like I ah, you won a title, like bye, brother. Like even though we did yeah. things that weren't like your fault, you know, it's like that. That's the yeah. part of it where there's the disconnect. But I think you're right to say like it's like the Lakers in the last 15 years who have gotten this standing. It's LeBron, it's AD, and Kobe. Think about like mm-hmm. think about that for a second. Like that's the guys yeah. that have gotten this treatment from that organization. That's that's very telling about where they they see AD right now, and that I find that really interesting. And I again, it would make me scared to. He's the. It, it's a it's a really interesting to see what he's going to look like at thirty five. Yeah, and and to to tie bow on this, I mean, he's the. Uh, that whole part of it is very interesting. The fact that he's at that stature is maybe not how he's viewed around the league, which is part of why I bring it up, but it makes sense. I think it, it was where this was headed, and I think his game will age fine, uh, just maybe not. Is he going to be an MVP candidate? No, you know, and, and the injuries no. are, are a big concern. But uh, again, just from the LeBron angle, it is another step in the direction of we are not going to organize everything around keeping you as happy and like we're not building a LeBron dream world with the Lakers. Our future is just as important as maximizing LeBron. And they've done a lot of things, not trading for Kyrie. Um, you know, even the way that they approach their deadline deals, a lot of these things are, are with the future, at least in part in mind. All right, let's go on to, it's been a while since we recorded. So we have double slot of the week. This week, Chris, which can transition us, I think, to Team USA a little bit here for a moment. Uh, I had it at the end, but we might as well do it together. The slop, which for anybody who's new, is especially in July and August, but really at all times, this league never stops churning out content, and there are varying levels of quality of that content, and slop refers to the dregs of it. And what we got this week was, this weekend, really, uh, last week into the weekend, Chris, is a ton of hype captured primarily through word of mouth, Twitter, and little social media clips that Cade Cunningham is dominating Team USA camp. He's on the select team. He apparently didn't, uh, said no to a spot on the main team because he wanted to make sure that the calf is, is where it needed to be. Is Cade Cunningham the next coming of... I mean, what, Kevin Durant, Carmelo Anthony, is he here to save Team USA? Uh, I, I just loved the whisper, whisper about somebody who, like, we already knew was great. I think that's what made me laugh about this. 
the whole thing with like the select team like beating Team USA, it's not like, like twice Team USA has or not in like in a ton of scrimmages apparently. Yeah. Like just the whole thing. Look, it's not as if that this team US this team USA is good. Has a lot of good players. It's not like they sent the redeem team or the dream team out. They're not you know what I mean? Like they're not sending like such an insane caliber of star talent to this tournament. Like Walker Kessler is good. Okay, like he's not an all star. He had a really great rookie season. Didn't win rookie of the year. Good player though. He was a right? DNP in their game against Puerto Rico. So I'm saying, like it's it's like we're, they they didn't send like the 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 Voltron of NBA stars to the world. Like that's not what's going on here. So it's like yeah. This team is young enough and hungry enough and good enough at the select level that I, I'm not like this doesn't totally shock me. The it's Team USA like, main team is a select team, right? Like I yeah, think that's maybe the yeah. way to put it is like that's the guys yeah. who are they're all first time national team players, the guys who are on the actual World Cup roster, and they're all very young outside of Bobby Portis, and so it's like. Cade Cunningham, very well, if he had just said yes, would have been on the main team. Could have been potentially like their starting point guard. And yet, uh, you know, it's a surprise when we uh, when we see him dominate. The other guy that I wanted to hit on, and, and this does qualify as slop, even though it's good content and good reporting. You know, this slop of the week is not disrespect to the to the creator of the slop. That's not how we mean it. It is just uh, it is just a description description of of what the content is. But Jovan Buha at the Athletic did sort of an informal poll where he basically just asked all the players on both the World Cup roster and the select team who impressed you, who who like stood out the most, who's the guy who kind of like won the camp, so to speak. And apparently, Jaron Jackson was the winner of this informal survey, Chris. Um, it doesn't surprise me because I thought his playoffs were did not get enough attention, especially offensively. But the other part of this is he's also the starting five for this team, which isn't a huge surprise, but there are obvious matchups that this team's going to face in the World Cup where mm-hmm. Jaron Jackson as your starting center is going to pose some challenges game plan-wise, um, even though Nikola Jokic will not be in this tournament. So what do you make of, of the JJJ hype and... Do you feel like he is somebody who can handle playing most of every game as a center with the physicality of of FIBA basketball? You know, we'll see about the physicality part of it, but I I mean, I think you could argue on a per-minute basis, even with some of the foul struggle, that this is one of the best defend like the best defender in the league if not like he won defense player of the year for a reason. This guy is like an insane defender who's multifaceted, multi-skilled. Like this doesn't surprise me. And Brennan, if we were going to look ahead to next season, and if you told me I had to like bet on a more established younger star taking another step forward, he'd be like in my top three in that list. I think. Mm-hmm. Like, there's offensive room. Like, I you know I don't know exactly like what he's looked like offensively in this camp. Like, it's hard to know without seeing some of this stuff. And I really am curious to watch him in that context in FIBA, just more offensively than anything else, because we know what he is defensively. But like, there's another level for this guy to go offensively, and it wouldn't shock me if we saw it in this competition. Like, mm. like there, there's a ton of meat on that bone for him to, to add to his offensive game. That could be absolutely coming here. For sure. I think they have options if they need to adjust what their big man rotation is going to be. But 
big picture, if there's any coach that I trust to put help rules in place, switch uh, when when possible, and just kind of insulate a small ball center, it's Steve Kerr. So watching the team against Puerto Rico last night, I was definitely kind of realizing how relieving that was going to be, you know, to have somebody who does that as their normal philosophy. And I'm sure that was part of why they built the roster this way. But in that Puerto Rico game, their center rotation was Jaron Portis, who played like 10, 15 minutes. And Mm -hmm. then uh, Paolo played a little bit of backup five over Walker Kessler. That surprised me. I'm excited for it from Paolo's developmental perspective, but I did not expect it. You said Steve. I mean, it's Steve Kerr. Like, that doesn't totally Mm -hmm. surprise me, if I'm being honest. Steve Kerr, who loves uh, Kevon Looney, though, you know, like. But, but like, he also, like, hated James Wiseman, you know? It's like, mm -hmm. what's all James Wiseman? How much uh, Kevon Kevon Looney, like, film do you think he was showing Paolo? And Paolo's like, I'm never going to do this with their Orlando Magic. Like, why you should? I'm surprised really Kevon Looney didn't just play on this team. I I, I wonder honestly, how much Grant yeah. Hill had to like talk Steve Kerr down from from doing that. Honestly, like, forget Paolo. Right, like, just give me Kevon. Like, Fine, we can put him on the select team. And they're like, he's. Just, it's like what? Like what it's like how Javale McGee ended up on the Olympic team. No one really understands it. You're telling like, me Kevon Looney couldn't have gotten minutes on this on this roster? He would have played 30 minutes last night. In the yeah. scrimmage, I'm, I'm sure. But just to hit on Triple J for a second, mm-hmm. if I had right now, I think I think it's Triple J or Anthony Edwards that comes out of this looking like the best player for Team USA at the end of this tournament. Mm-hmm. I, that's where I'm at. I, I I feel those two guys I think are gonna be the two the two that really pop. But I think you're right from the standpoint that in terms of sort of opportunity available versus what their maybe NBA role has been, Jaron's well, probably remember, the guy who has the most to gain. What? What is Jaron Jackson Jr. going to need to do immediately following this tournament while John Moran is suspended? I mean, you don't think D it's Rose Dick. is going to be the guy? I thought it. Was, I thought that's what they brought uh, Derek in for. Hey, yeah, Marcus and Derek got this. No, David you're absolutely Adi, right, guy. but yeah. I think. Yeah, so I think I think the opportunity there for 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 Triple J is especially exciting because it's it's going to be new stuff. Whereas Ant, it's like. He's the go-to scoring option for his his NBA team, and and that's kind of what he's going to have to do. Yeah, but here, Ant's also probably going to have at least one dunk that is like an international <laughs> incident that we're going to be talking about forever. Like, I, like the if I could bet on that, I'd be being like, is Anthony Edwards going to posterize someone in a really insane way during this tournament? The answer is absolutely yes. That's going to happen. So if we look at this box score, you're right, by the way. Vince Carter should be worried about his place in history. Um, <laughs> 21 minutes for Tyrese Halliburton, 22 minutes for Jalen Brunson. Halliburton had 7 points and 12 assists. Brunson had 11 points and 3 assists. This was not a very competitive basketball game. 43-point um, win. But the first half pretty was pretty competitive. And you could tell, you could feel that... The kind of defense to offense, using the athleticism to their advantage, just the way this roster is, the youth, everything. To me, it felt like it clicked into place when Halliburton was out there. And I think there might be people, and I don't know how you feel, who just think Halliburton's straight up better than Jalen Brunson already. I don't know if he is. I don't know if he isn't. But it's close. I, I could see that being one change that happens over the course of the World Cup is Halliburton getting into at least the closing lineup, if not 
the starting lineup. It's just a matter of the half court offense. And I think that's going to be the, the real thing is who's more trustworthy when it really gets down to we're tight against Spain with two minutes to go. Halliburton can be guarded in a way that takes him out of games a little bit if the tempo does slow down. Which one of those players feels more Curry to you? Like not, so I, I understand maybe that sounded like Curry. No. I meant Curry. Curry-ish. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's a better Steve-ish. way to do it. Uh, yeah. Halliburton. Right. That, I just think you might fall in love with Tyrese Halliburton over the course of this tournament and be like, sorry, Jalen. Yeah. Playing Tyrese. Let me ask you this to, to close this out, because we will do like a World Cup preview, I think, or we should. I, we haven't talked about that yet, but... Yeah. Um, deep dive do, at least I on do, the NBA guys. Well, well, and I do I do want to say this was kind of in the news uh, a couple of days ago. Um, and he won't. I mean, best wishes to Ricky Rubio, who's going to be taking a step away for his mental health. And that would have him in an international Ricky Rubio was one of the three most things I was excited for at FIBA, just to see if he could recreate yeah. that magic maybe one last time as he gets a little bit older. Uh, but best wishes to him. But but continue. Hope he can play in the Olympics next year. But. Yeah, yeah. Spain is ranked number one in the world. That feels that felt off, regardless of Rubio's situation. It especially feels strange now. They're wow. playing Wancho, Spain. This, yeah. Wancho Hernan Gomez hater over here. This they're guy. playing Spain this weekend. The the USR. Mm-hmm. So we'll see. But the, um, the U- I thought it sounded like you said USSR for a second because I'm exhausted and I was like Brendan, what, what's going on here? No, but that trip uh, somehow the US convinced Slovenia to play in Spain. And not having to go to Slovenia and getting to spend a weekend fully in, in Spain is a real win. Like, Grant Hill is already doing his job for those guys. Yeah, but not for, like, their ability to, like, go through it and, like, get, go into a crazy environment. Like, honestly. But they don't have to. The, all these games are neutral court. Nobody plays at home. I don't know. I think it would have been cool to be like, hey, you guys are going to play in an insane crowd in Eastern Europe. I would watch. I Come on. <laughs> Luca would probably have won that game single-handedly, and it would have been a, an embarrassment on social media yeah, for you're like te- three days. Okay. Yeah, and you know what? I Brendan, you want call it? me unpatriotic. I, 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 come on, tell me Luca against Team USA in Slovenia is not like one of the most insane things you could watch. You know, I have already watched Luka Doncic do ugly things to Mikhail Bridges and Cam Johnson in a hostile environment. Uh, so maybe I'm just, uh, I'm just really scarred from that. But. Uh, my last question on this, because again, we'll, we'll, we will do that preview and we'll dive on all this again, but this is an Im- impossible question to answer without knowing the interest level of a lot of different older guys. But I was watching this team wondering, who do we think is actually going to play themselves into an Olympic spot next year? Because I could see a lot of this roster not not being on the radar come 100% 2024 this, olympics this, this this is this is a placeholder roster i'm going to say there's three names that come to mind for me it's halliburton it's ant and it's triple j those are the three halliburton ant triple j yeah interesting i think ant and triple j who we already kind of put side by side are, are are obvious i would only the only additional one that i'll throw in that feels like he has an inside track here is paolo because it would be really doing him dirty to woo him from italy and steal him from the italian national team which was like an international incident almost and then be like thanks for the one world cup see ya you know put some development hours in buddy we'll see you in 2028 in la if you want it but we're not taking you next year so i feel like paolo might already have his spot like reserved for the olympics 
The, the other thing I would say is I, I feel like the select team is also just like kind of a, I, I, you know, like there's some names I really like there. I know Chet's there, but it's like I, I feel like we're just like there's like a some guy there's a notable name is missing. I mean, there's two guys in my backyard that I that I it's kind of interesting. The one of them has already played for Team USA at a tournament before and won, or at least was up to, to it. And then the other one is the best guy from his draft class when the other two guys are there in Mo in Garland and Mobley. Mm-hmm. Um, didn't Donovan play in the eighth place finish World Cup? Yeah, I think he did. So maybe he's just barred from participation him. further. Yeah, between um, probably that and the last two playoffs, it's just like. Nas Reed might be the long term starting center for this team. We'll see. Dude, look, our international Brennan, our, our guy Nas Reed. Like, I think he's officially on like the the just basketball all star team. Mm-hmm. Like, if Ant's like the first draft pick, he's Nas is our second round draft pick. Is that fair? Yeah, Shea. It's like, yes, we have Shea. Well, okay, but like Shea, saying like uh, Shea and Ant is is like kind of just being like, yeah, not like not deep cuts a, by any means. It's like I'd like a Coke and like a and a really nice piece of pizza, like a, a mark piece yeah. of margarita pizza. It's like you're picking the classics and like yeah. like the the Nas Reed is like you know NBA hipster Twitter sure. like a favorite, but it's like okay, like I feel we're a little we're a little ahead of the game before he drops like forty against Spain to win the gold medal next year. No, we have a whole month of content like next May or June about if Joel Embiid picks the U.S. or not. We'll have well, to see how that you, goes. N- Nas Reed versus Rudy Gobert for the gold for the gold medal, and Nas Reed just dusts <laughs> Gobert. Nas Reed versus Victor Wembanyama for the gold is more like what yeah. it might end up being by next year. Um, all right, we'll have more World Cup coverage. It starts in two and a half weeks from today. The U.S. will be playing Greece. TBD if Giannis will play in this tournament. Jokic has already said no because he is a coward. We'll see what else happens. Let's go back. We're going. We're going back to the slop well here, Chris, and uh, we're going to go through uh, an interview given by one Caitlin Clark, one of the best basketball players alive. Once again, casting a little bit of doubt about her draft status. So this is with the Gazette, the local Iowa newspaper. They got a quick one-on-one with her. I'm not sure for what. Maybe just kind of the break of the opening of camp. At well, Iowa. before she went out to the the Amalfi Coast, she's currently in Italy, just having a great summer. By all well, shout out to NIL. Um, so she said, uh, she was asked, would you consider playing as a walk-on at some point to open another scholarship? Seems like a far-fetched question, but it is something that, you know, if you use these additional years of eligibility, which she got by way of the pandemic, starts to become a concern. I think there is something to be said for that factoring in. She said she's never really thought about it. She thinks the coach is planning far ahead. She wants her back, all this stuff. But the most key point there is she said, I'm treating this as my last year because I don't want any regrets based on what I decide or don't decide to do. All right. Follow-up question. On a scale from 1 to 10, how likely are you to come back for a fifth season, which would be 2024-25? The golden question, one of the biggest questions in basketball Business is riding on this. Some cities fan base is riding on this. Our entertainment is riding on this. ESPN probably cares a lot, et cetera, et cetera. She says, a lot of it is going to depend on, honestly, I'll give you a six. She started that sentence and then uh, gave an answer. Just a little above the middle. It could definitely go either way. A lot depends on the WNBA draft lottery. A lot depends on how things go for our team this year. I'd obviously like to have somewhat of an idea before I go into this year because it's a big decision. It's a big life decision. One of the toughest decisions that I'll make. I don't know about their recruiting class, but they lost Monica Zanano, Chris, and I wonder if their team is actually going to 
be good enough. That was a five-year senior at center who really helped that team. I, I don't know if they're better or worse in position to win this year, but I think UConn will be better, and I think South Carolina and LSU aren't going anywhere. So I, if she wants to win a championship, she might end up disappointed here. But the more interesting part of this to me is the shade at one particular fan base with this quote. Because if you look at the WNBA standings right now, the bottom four teams, which is who gets put into the lottery in that league, three of them are incredibly desirable places to play for a WNBA player and any human being to live. One of them is definitely not. Are you following me? Are you looking at these standings right now? Yeah. It's the Indiana Fever. She could have just said if she wasn't so worried about the uh, ob obvious PR issues that would have resulted from being so honest. I'm not really trying to play for the fever. That's really what she said here. Yeah, and it's funny because, like, I mean, to be honest with you, Brennan, that's one of the markets that I think, like, kind of makes sense for her. Like, I think she's going to be big anywhere, but if you want to kind of maximize her. Are we like, doing I a race thing a here? Have we, have we delved into race? I'm just saying, like, her in Indiana makes sense to me. Her in Minnesota makes sense You're getting sense in the winning time vibe. You're getting, you're getting the Larry Bird juices flowing for yourself. I get it. You're just prepping okay. for next week. Sure, sure. No, I think you're right. I mean, the other three, just to state them, are Vegas, uh, not Vegas, L.A., Phoenix, and Seattle. She Look, she's going to be massive wherever she goes. Yeah. I, I want her to end up on the Mercury, like, well, yeah, more than I do. really can put into words. I'm, I might be more excited for that than, like, the day the Durant trade happened, just because you're getting her for pro probably her whole entire career. I think that if any of the other three teams win the lottery, I think Caitlin Clark will go out. Aaliyah Boston's really got to do some behind the, the, the back curtain here. Well, I mean, the good thing is the consolation prizes in next year's draft are pretty damn good, too. So the, the Fever are probably on their way uh, with, with Boston. But it's nice in the W that you have the luxury of knowing that ahead of time, I will say. She, this is also the thing where that I because the draft is like the week after the tournament for them. Well, number one, I think there's two things we have to remind, remember here. On the men, on, compared to the men, just because NIL for her, I'm sure, is insanely lucrative, and she's going to make endorsements when she goes to the pro pros wherever. But like yeah. compared to like Apollo, like there's more incentive for her just to earn a bunch of money and stay mm -hmm. somewhere she's really comfortable and kind of dictate herself. There, there's just better structure for her to do that. Secondly, secondly, she is just going to be this unique thing where, like, she could really just like she she's going to have more control than like almost anyone we've seen in that regard. Because like we would assume she's going to go like even when we've said that's a loaded class, right? Yeah. This this is going to be a situation where she's going to be one even ahead of Paige. Van Lith, Cameron Brink, Angel. like she's probably going to go one, barring something insane. And also, I wonder for her, and this doesn't really get into the interview, but like we can look at this year and say this might not be the best Iowa team, right? Mm -hmm. I don't know how likely it is, Brendan, that when you're here in, in wonderful Cleveland, Ohio, that the Iowa Hawkeyes are playing in those games, right? I don't know. Does that incentivize even if you're the best team, it's a crapshoot, right? But like if they just be able to run it back, you'd have been like, okay, like you you'd think there's a good chance they have a, a very nice shot to to do that, right? Yeah. 
lesser now. I don't know. We'll see what the rankings look like and, and whatnot. I am curious to see if that weighs on her. She's like, I really want to go give myself one chance to really do the one thing I haven't done in college, which is win the national title. Yeah, but I mean, the thing is, she has to go pro at some point, right? And so in some ways, there is the draw. It's part of why I think it's so fascinating that not only, oh, the Sparks, I wouldn't necessarily group in there, but I think that the Mercury and Storm are not only like two of the like six biggest cities in the country and, and big endorsement opportunities and just good places to live and on and on and on, but they're also places where the basketball organization is very well run. The Storm have a really dedicated ownership group that's independent of anything related to the NBA, obviously, because there's no Seattle team. And then the, the Mercury are, they were already well run and now they have a, you know, owner who wants to throw money around for, you know, the foreseeable future in Matt Ishbia because they are owned by the Sun. So it's, it's like such a dichotomy. It's not just, oh, the fever, LOL. It's like she could choose to lock herself into a particularly good opportunity in organizations with real legacies and cities that provide her a lot of stuff, or she could try to go back one more year. But what if the last, what if the four teams in the lottery in 2025 are all undesirable or all small markets, you know? So it's fascinating that the ripple effects of all this COVID eligibility stuff might result in like extreme maneuvering for one of the greatest talents that 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 you know sport has ever seen this sport has ever seen but more time will tell more more obviously to come we'll see what happens the lottery in the WNBA happens way after the season ends so we won't even know who wins that lottery until March or April let's close out with one more WNBA thing Chris Diana Taurasi last Thursday broke through 10,000 points for her career and that in of itself is one of those round number things that we just like as you know small-brained human beings it doesn't actually she didn't break anybody's record she just reached a, a height that nobody else in in league history has ever reached because she became the all-time leading scorer i want to say four or five years ago so this is like the late 80s for kareem this is just mm -hmm. piling up the numbers that others will only dream of reaching and I just wanted to put that achievement into perspective a little bit. I'm, I'm punching myself in the face for not seeing ahead of time that that date might be the one when she was going to break it because I was not in the building for this. I'm allowing myself the grace of I was there when she broke the scoring record in the first place. Cooler achievement. I did get to be in the building for that, but not for this. She is just so far and uh, away above everybody else. She is 3,000 points above the next active leading scorer, somebody who could actually catch her, but that's Tina Charles, who's effectively retired. And then you even look at three-pointers made, and she's more than double the next closest active player, which is Christy Tolliver, who is already a coach for the Mavericks and on her way to retirement. Like, this is Wilt Chamberlain, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, like, unreachable, undreamable, impossible levels of production and the only thing i think anyone will be able to do to reach her is take advantage of the increasing number of games that are being played in the league like that's the only i i think anyone else like to play deep into their 30s and everything it's just it, it really is unparalleled we might just see other players reach it because i mean 40 already is where we are it's going to go up from there our uh, friend of the program serena merchant had this in her power rankings this week 
I'm going to read this paragraph here because I thought it was a really well-written paragraph and, and very insightful. First and foremost, Tarasi is in one of the finest scoring stretches of her career. She didn't limp to the finish line, but rather charged to the 10K threshold with 42 points, a regulation career high for the 41-year-old. Over the last four games since she returned from injury, Tarasi has scored 119 points, the most she's tallied in a four-game stretch since 2006 when she set the WNBA single-season scoring record. This is it doesn't make sense. This is... This, Look, Tarasi, in a lot of ways, I think is responsible. F- how do I say this? Tarasi, I think, is part of the story of how women's basketball became really popular in this country. I I think so. I think she Tarasi is one of the great ambassadors of women's basketball. Of basketball, but of basketball. Tarasi is one of the best ambassadors we have for basketball. I think what is I think what will ultimately be a bummer to some degree is that like there's this wave of its popularity rising as she has sort of been on the back nine, so to speak, of her career. And stuff like this like should get a bigger deal. I think ESPN did a really cool thing where they made did you see that story that was like a graphic design of like how she shoots and her and her but like just everything in that was very cool and very well done and very insightful. It's the kind of thing that sports media company should do to honor the best we've ever seen and i'm glad they did it for tarasi because she deserves it another cool but one on the mercury team website that i'll shout out shout out to them there is just something about her that i think we like i i she's gonna do whenever she does retire and like lord knows when that exactly will be you might have a better grasp than me i just feel like we're gonna need to give her all the flowers possible because she's doing things that are that are absolutely just insane Agreed completely. She is 41. She should not be doing this. There's really no precedent for it. She, I mean, I, I think I might have told the story or walked through this thought process previously in the podcast, but I thought it was over in 2019. She broke her, she broke multiple vertebrae in her back and looked absolutely atrocious when she tried to come back. Uh, had surgery. Obviously, spinal surgery is not exactly like uh, a walk in the park. And, you know, she was 37 at that point. It was around late June, I think. And I was like, okay, that's it. Like amazing career. I believe that three championships uh, at that point and um, many, many time all-star MVPs. She is the greatest athlete in Phoenix history, all that stuff. She's had four years since then. And one of those years she went to the WNBA finals this year she gets to 10,000 points and uh, that, that the, this historic level of play that she's on right now. Um, the three she made over Ryan Howard on the right wing to get the record was like, to come full circle for the show, like Sabrina Ionescu shit. I know it's really Diana Taurasi shit that Sabrina was doing to be more accurate, but like just things that we shouldn't be seeing. And so that's why I think like, I, I think the Kareem comparison to piggyback off of what you were talking about in terms of the ambassadorship and the historical and the doing it when there wasn't a lot of shine and attention on the league that they played in and all that type of stuff. I think that's how she should be remembered and will be remembered is this historical figure, this larger than life character, this person who just sets these unachievable records and then doesn't necessarily get to see the highest highs of attention and and glory that maybe they deserve. But I mean, you're ne- I mean, it's impossible to deny anything she's doing, and this is just another chapter for it. 
she, she, I think, I think there's like a world coming for her where it's kind of like her Kobe era, right? Like I, th- I think we're kind of feels like we're in that a little bit. It, I think she might I, disappear when she retires. Is the only thing. She has like two or three kids now, and she li- she lives in Southern California, but not like in the middle of everything in LA. I don't think where their wherever their house is. I think it's kind of in the suburbs of Orange County and whatnot. I, th- I I feel like she might be one that's just like bye bye everybody. I'll do an so ESPN like, appearance once a year with Sue Bird, and then I'll never be seen again until next year. Yeah, I. She could just continue to be such an amazing ambassador for the game if she wanted to, but maybe that's Sue Bird's role, right? Because Sue Bird, Megan Rapinoe is about to retire, and they're, I'm sure they're going to be very public figures. I think they're kind of invested in being public figures in a way. I think to your point, that is right. That's Rossi and her wife, Penny Taylor, who uh, used to play them maybe as well. Like, they're not, right? Yeah, that's you a little Penny, Penny Taylor's jersey. jersey. It's not yeah. a real jersey. It's what they gave out on her uh, like Ring of Honor enshrinement thing. But former yes. uh, former Cleveland Rocker, I believe, Penny Correct. Taylor. Correct, OG Cleveland Rocker. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Bring him back. Um, Kaylin Clark, would you like to live in Cleveland? I can give you some great restaurant recommendations. Where do you think Cleveland ranks on the expansion power rankings for the WNBA? Is it in the top 10? No, I think Columbus. If you're, I know you're Columbus, fucking yes. with me. I know you're fucking with me right now, but Columbus would be the Ohio City that's ahead of Cleveland. Mm-hmm. I don't think that's correct, but... I, I've talked to people about it, and the, the, the Columbus is the answer I always get. Yeah. No, I, I think you're right. I, I'm not trying to undersell her or, or say that she's not interested in being that type of ambassador. I also just think there's an element of she is, like, the the most reserved shit talker that you could imagine. She is very provocative and loud and in your face, but off the court and kind of interpersonally like she's a jokester she's funny she's goofy but she's not trying to be the center of attention at all times she hasn't by any means. well she hasn't she hasn't publicly memed herself like kobe did like kobe mm-hmm. like the, there's the kanye kobe thing where like it's like a joke of the mamba mentality tarasi's like never yeah. done that you know like there's never yeah. like that level of of the tarasi thing um I yeah, would we'll really see. like her to do like a two-hour interview on like a podcast at some point, though. Just with like I don't know who the right just basketball show, but we're like another like or someone like like a basketball like I, maybe it's maybe it's like a JJ Redick interview or something where like she yeah, really opened. That's up. probably I would be fascinating. That's, she did an IG live with Sue Bird at the beginning of COVID that got like a bunch of attention. That's where the wine glass meme came from. Yeah, uh, yes. of her raising the raising the glass, but they they were very open and honest because they were uh, not not just half a drink in. If you understand what I'm saying, look, now. I, so I, early days great. of COVID, I, early days of COVID IG lives for like anyone with a celebrity platform who like is used to attention was mm-hmm. like a really wild time. Just like people, just like what a like how starved for content we all were but yeah no she did the simmons podcast once upon a time i I, there is another chapter i think she's young Uh, enough she's she's passionate uh, enough i wouldn't surprise me if she was a coach or an executive in the w i I don't think she'll just disappear forever but i also don't think she's the type who's like i'm gonna do a farewell tour and get a bunch of gifts and attention and 16 profiles written about me and a documentary and this and that i think it'll just be sort of like you got me for 20 years. <laughs> Was that, are you not entertained type of thing? Diana Trost has been playing basketball at a competitive level since I was four. When she yeah. started at UConn, I was four years old. That doesn't even make sense. She's given Did us you, um, uh, plenty of time, you know? Have you, have you ever, this is maybe a good place to end it, but have you read the New York Times profile of her when she was playing in Russia? Have you ever read this? 
Uh, I don't think so. Okay, I'm going to send it to you because it's an amazing... I'm going to find it because I haven't read it in a while, but it's one of the most amazing sports profiles I've read, and I, I, I'll, maybe we'll put it in the show notes or something, but I, it is truly like an amazing profile of her and like her life and a candidness and a rawness to her that I would like a revisit of that now to some degree, you know, mm-hmm. like send Ramona Shelburne to Phoenix for a week and follow her around. Send, you know, send Sabrina Merchant and get like, give her the access for a DT profile for the athletic. Like that's the kind of thing that I would love. I would also like, if there was, if I could pick like a top five of athletes to like do a, a book like a memoir, I think she would be really high. She would be very high up on that list for me. Yeah. If she was willing to, to be candid. Uh, Brendan, actually, do wait. We do have one more thing. We have a game we got to play. We oh yeah, do we this. do. Okay, so this won't really make the the rundown, but I want to end on a very like goofy note here. Um, people may have seen this clip. I saw it from our friends at Dime, of Stephen Curry. Singing Misery Business with Haley Williams, Haley Williams of the lead singer Paramore to Paramore show. This has been a thing I've seen via Instagram that Paramore has had people come out to sing Misery Business with them. Like At Lil every Uzi show. Vert. Yeah, like Lil Uzi Vert has done it. Like, it's a cool little bit. Steph Curry is such a random pull for that, if I'm being honest. It's like a little weird. <laughs> sure. We'll leave it at that. Yeah, it's just <laughs> like, okay, like. I, I would I I need a breakdown of how that happened if I'm being honest like if like there's more pressing matters but like on media day I need someone to be like hey Steph it's uh Bob from the the San Francisco Chronicle um just how did you end up singing misery business like were you were like like what like it was just very weird so this this let me do a question I love when NBA players like interact with the real world or WNBA players interact with the real world in like a really in a weird way because I think mm-hmm. it's just funny it's just mm-hmm. like, so do you have like a pairing of a bas- professional basketball player and an artist who you would like to see them? Like if that was going to happen and we had to watch it, that you just like want to see what it would look like? Because I had I, one immediately came to mind. One immediately came to mind for me. Yeah. So um, I thought immediately of which players or teams have the closest associations with musicians because i was just trying to rack my brain of what would make the most sense and so i very quickly got to drake and the raptors and from there grady dick grady dick yeah dick singing uh either hotline bling or in my feelings two of the more like you know singable drake songs so it's it's one of those two songs and it is man of the hour man of toronto man of everybody's uh I don't even know. Uh, it does. Weird, he doesn't weird. feel real. He lives in a parallel reality. But Grady Dick, Grady Dick singing good, one of those that, two Drake songs. That's a good one. Um, didn't actually didn't think of that until you said it. I'm kind of mad that wasn't where my brain went. I'm a little surprised with how infiltrated with Grady Dick, Grady Dick like memes and like him like being out in public like just looking like a total like. Sidebar: alien. The Raptors need him because uh, not from a basketball <laughs> standpoint, but. Uh, from a, the standpoint of the rest of their players are boring as hell. So, you know, yeah. give give the Raptors some intrigue. Fred's gone. He was cool. Like, nobody knows anything about Scotty Barnes, Pascal Siakam, OG Ananobi. Nobody knows about those people. So they needed some personality. Yeah. Uh, weirdest white. Like, maybe the has the crown of weirdest white boy in the league already. Yes. Right? Far and away. Yeah. Okay. 
Brennan, my answer is Jimmy Butler. Noted mm. country music fan Jimmy Butler. Mm-hmm. And the song Heavy Eyes with Zach Bryan. Give me a big show. Give me Jimmy Butler singing with Zach Bryan about getting drunk and being up really late and making mistakes and just being stupid. And Jimmy Butler in like a in like a good country that still tilts into like the, the party atmosphere of it. Like I'm not saying like let's, I'm not gonna pair Jimmy with Morgan Wallen. I'm a man of taste. Okay. Zach Bryan in a big show. Maybe like just somewhere random. And like let's let's get Jimmy Butler doing his country twang thing. I like it. Um, the problem with Jimmy Butler and country music in general, but maybe that song okay. as a specific example is, no, I'm not going to do anything problematic here. I just don't think no, he's... No, I'm just saying, I, I, Brendan, my, the crux of my New York trip was a Liberty game and a Tyler Childers show, so like we're just... Mm-hmm. Okay, we're hitting... We're no, the issue is I don't think Jimmy Butler's ever made a mistake at any point of the day. The no, idea of Jimmy Butler having regrets, it just doesn't feel compatible. So the fact that well, he even like, likes country music, which is so central to like heartbreak and personal, you know, shame yeah. and all these, you know, kind of very interior feelings. I just yeah. don't think of Jimmy Butler as having any issues ever. I mean, he he's overcome a lot in his life. The dude's cool as hell. Like he's a great basketball player. I mean, it's all vibes and joy for, for Jimmy. And yeah, that song's really- he does. Yeah. So you're right to say he would do something like that. Yeah. I'm just taking issue with the whole idea, and I don't understand it. Look, he I think I didn't do it via like a back angle of like annoying his teammates by playing country music. Well, he's from Texas. Well, but he gave, there's an interview you can clip a find of him where he like he didn't like some of the music guys were playing in the locker room, and he wanted them to use headphones. Yeah. So because he's Jimmy Butler, he started playing country music, and then he just got into it. I'm just saying, man. Put him with Zach Bryan, one of our greats, and let's let's have a good time. I mean, I will say he's buddies with Neymar, so the Morgan Wallen thing might be more real than you're that's, letting that's, it on. That, that's, that's tough for me personally. The whole Neymar thing is just really tough to do. I do just feel like Neymar and Morgan Wallen probably are friends. I, I don't even have any grounding with that. I just It's a guess, but I, I feel like I can put it out there. Yeah. Uh, I also like, I'm pro- you know, I there's the, there's like some rap ones, obviously. You could probably do pretty easily. I like- thought of Durant with rap, but... Some like Dur- a I lot mean, of Dur- NBA guys are Durant so and- into rap that it would be like not yeah. fun. It would just be like well, okay. them like legitimately okay. rapping along, and that's not really like that cool. All things considered. Well, I I personally would like to see James Harden on stage with a little baby. Like I feel like the fact that that hasn't happened yet feels like kind of like weird. Fair. Like maybe James it Harden and, and it. Travis Scott, another one. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Just James James Harden with something in Houston, Texas, just feels like. A very obvious thing that hasn't happened. Um, yeah, Grady Dick's a great answer. Grady Dick and Drake is like a great answer, though. Grady Dick and like the you weekend gave me time to think about answer. it, and I, I did yeah. I did too much research. Um, all right, that will wrap us up for the day. We'll be back next week, talking winning time, talking basketball Hall of Fame. Hopefully, get a guest on. Shout out to Dylan Heiser as always for his production help. Shout out to you all for hitting subscribe wherever you're finding the show, including YouTube, where you can give us a thumbs up. You can give us five stars on Apple and Spotify, all that good stuff to support the show. Buy some homage gear, and we'll catch you guys next week.